You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sunstone is probably the first bit of Aztec art I became familiar with even before I studied art. It has been widely represented in various forms of culture, from the relatively recent Mexican folk art tradition of Amade paintings, to the pop culture of Legends the Hidden Temple, which I must say was one of my favorite Nickelodeon game shows in the 1990s. On its face, we see a beautiful image full of symbols laid out in radial symmetry that is just so visually satisfying. But as we look a little closer and get to know the symbols, this stone image is a lot deeper and heavier than I realized. I feel like who art ed? Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. I thought the great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and for this week's Fun Fact Friday, we're going to be looking at the Aztec Sunstone. The Sunstone is also sometimes referred to as the Calendar Stone, but it wasn't intended to function in the way we use calendars today. The image is a representation of Aztec mythology describing five consecutive worlds of the sun all carved into an elaborate radial stone glyph. While the calendar stone was not used to mark the passing of days and months, it does have a date represented at the top. 13 reed represents the start of the fifth and final sun, as well as the year that Itzcoatl began his rule, thus legitimizing his rule, with a link between the divine and man in the year 1427 CE. When the sunstone was discovered, it was flipped upside down. It's believed that the Aztecs may have flipped it upside down in order to prevent the final cataclysm, the fall of the fifth sun. Flipping the stone would have been no easy feat, considering it's about three and a half meters wide, or roughly ten feet, almost a meter thick, and it weighs in at 25 tons. Oh, I suppose people will do whatever they can to fend off the end of the world. Now, putting this into a historical context, remember that this stone was created in the 15th century and the late 15th century was when Columbus and other European explorers began to make contact with the Americas. 
Around 100 years after the stone was created, the Spanish conquistadors did effectively end the Aztec civilization, so their apocalyptic notion of the fifth sun being the final really wasn't so far off. While the sun didn't fall to the earth, it was the end of their era. The figure at the center of the sunstone may be the sun god Tonatiuh, the day sun, Yohula Tonatia, the night sun, or the primordial earth monster Taltacutli. If it is Taltacutli, the earth monster, it would be representing the destruction of the earth after the fifth and final sun falls. The tongue resembles a sacrificial knife, and the positioning of that tongue sticking out is said to represent the god's bloodthirsty desire. Scholars believe that when the sunstone was installed, it was laid face up, flat on the ground, and would have likely been anointed with blood sacrifices. Four points around the central figure represent the four previous suns. Jaguar, wind, rain, and water going clockwise from the top right. Aztec mythology describes four eras in which suns replaced each other as the gods Quetzalcoatl and Tezcatlipoca fought for control of the cosmos. To the left and right of the central face, there's a jaguar clutching a heart. This is meant to symbolize the earthly realm. The band around the sun contains symbols of the 20 Aztec days. That's where the calendar connection comes in. Surrounding that, we see another decorative band, and then another filled with symbols of jade and turquoise. Jade and turquoise were the colors of the heavens, but also symbols of the equinox and solstice. Equi meaning equal, the equinoxes are days of equal amounts of sunlight and darkness. The solstices are days of quite strong opposites. The summer solstice occurs on the day when the sun will illuminate the sky for longer than any other day of the year. The winter solstice, on the other hand, marks the day of the least amount of sunlight, making it the longest night in the year. It's interesting how the sunstone itself is loaded with all of these symbols, but the way that it was utilized also feels very sort of symbolic and metaphorical, as it was created at the start of the fifth and final sun. And as I said, Aztec mythology was about the final sun being the end of civilization, as the sun would come crashing down to the earth. And in a way, that prophecy was fulfilled as the sun's stone was flipped, putting the sun to the earth, as the Aztec civilization gave way to the Spanish conquistadors in the early 16th century. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm proud to say this podcast is a part of the Airwave Media Network. There are a number of great 
podcasts that will help you learn something new on Airwave Media. For example, I have been listening to My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. This is a podcast that's been going for several years now, and one of the things that I really like about the show is while it does cover numerous things that are relevant to today's political conversation, the emphasis is really about putting it all into a historical context, giving us sort of the background information to make sense of the discussion and the debate that's happening today, to see the echoes through history and through time, how different generations have tackled some of these same issues and how the decisions of those people in the past have led us to our current circumstances. I found that most political shows just leave me riled up. Whether I agree or disagree, I always found myself feeling really angry. Whereas with My History Can Beat Up Your Politics, despite the violent suggesting name, it's a really much more neutral calm, rational discussion of the issues of the day and of the past. I feel like at the conclusion of each episode, I'm better informed, but not riled up. I like that. So if you like to be informed of issues of the past and how they're relevant today, I would recommend checking out My History Can Beat Up Your Politics on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please do me a favor and leave a rating or review for Who Arted, by far the greatest art history podcast you're currently listening to. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.